Welcome to Unsuitable Advice Podcast. I'm your host, Gail Suter, the CEO of unsuitableadvice.com. We are here to change the way the world thinks about neurodiverse students. Hi, welcome to Unsuitable Advice Podcast. I'm your host, Gail Suter, and I'm here today with Rebecca Harris. We've worked together at the Hillside School in Longmont, Colorado. She is known as the queen of the reading programs. I have her here today to talk about reading programs and what to look for when you have a neurodiverse student who needs to learn how to read. Becky, can you tell us something about your qualifications? Oh my gosh, we've been here for a long time. I have a bachelor's degree in special education with an emphasis in learning disabilities and social emotional disorders. Then I have a master's degree degree in educational leadership and special education administration. I have done 40 hours of the introduction to the Orton-Gillingham reading methodology, plus the 20 hours advanced. Then I did classroom educator practicum, and then I did the associate level practicum. I am doing my application right now for the certified level. Hence the queen. Hence the queen. <laughs> so um, how long have you been teaching neurodiverse students? Well, I've been at Hillside for 15 years. And before that, I worked for four years in the public schools as a resource room middle school special education teacher. What I've been telling my parents so far is that I may not always recommend a traditional school, but all change makers have to learn how to read and spell to the fifth grade level if they want to be able to use spell check and read information as they go through life. What is one thing that you think would be helpful, or maybe it's going to be a list of things that parents of a neurodiverse student who's struggling to learn how to read should look for in a reading program. There's a lot of programs out there. The problem with any program comes down to who's implementing it. Mm -hmm. So really what you want is somebody who has a background in either structured literacy, the science of reading, or Orton-Gillingham. Those are like the, the three big buzzwords that you hear all the time. Right now, science of reading is really huge. And structured literacy is what they're using sometimes instead of saying emoji. So what you're looking for in those reading programs is there's kind of five main components they need to have. They need to have phonemic awareness. Can you explain what that means? I can explain that. A phonemic awareness is your ability to hear and manipulate the sounds of our language. So it can start for the really little kids with just identifying that bat and cat rhyme and bat and dog don't rhyme. It can go up to them generating their own rhyming words. If, if I give you a compound word like Batman, tell me Batman, but don't say bat, being able to just to come up with man. So it starts really low and it can go all the way up to manipulating the sounds in a multisyllabic word saying mushroom, but don't say the shh, say a mushroom. When kids are proficient at it, it's all oral. They may need to start with manipulatives to be able to kind of like move it around and figure out what they're doing. But the reason it matters is that ability to hear the sounds and play with them is the foundation for reading and spelling. So obviously if you think about it, spelling requires you to hear all the sounds and get them down on paper. So before you can do that, you actually have to be able to hear them. I've also noticed as I've taught through the years using the OG program, that if a student has a speech impediment or mm -hmm. speech difference, 
that it can be very hard for them to spell the words because their mouth is their not. Their mouth isn't making them correctly according the sounds. Do students get speech impediments because they can't hear the sounds correctly? I think that you don't hear the sounds correctly or you're not formulating them correctly because you have some type of speech impediment to begin okay, with. Okay, yeah. excellent. So I was saying phonemic awareness um, is not explicitly taught in schools, usually at all. If it is, they don't do it much past kindergarten. And it's one of the number one indicators that a child might possibly have problems learning how to read is if they have weak phonemic awareness skills. Some of the packaged programs that are out there for kids with dyslexia or other reading difficulties don't even include it. Like Wilson Foundations is a huge one out here in Boulder Valley schools and or up and down the front range, and they don't do a lot with phonemic awareness at all in hmm. the program. So that's why you have to be really careful with programs. And so phonemic awareness is definitely one thing you would look for in that yes. package. Yes. What would be your next thing? So you want to look for phonemic awareness, and then you want to look for a program that is explicitly teaching phonics. Now, a lot of people think phonics and phonemic awareness are the same thing, and they aren't. Because phonemic awareness is all hearing it and doing it orally and manipulating it in that way. Phonics is when I look at A and I say A says A, okay. B says B, and T says T, and if I put those together, I come up with that. Yeah. That's phonics. So you need... Ex phonics to be taught explicitly. Traditionally, kids go into kindergarten and they learn the ABCs. They learn to sing their ABC song. They learn all 26 of them. We actually don't want them learning all 26 at the same time. We want to learn like two or three letters at a time and then start blending those letters. Ah, so putting the whole gradually. thing together mm -hmm. as they learn, not waiting. Not waiting until they have the entire alphabet and now we're going to learn how to read. We're going to learn P, D, and I, and then we're going to build some words. And maybe they'll be real words and maybe they won't be real words, but you're learning how to use the phonemes, how to blend them to read a word, and then how to segment them to spell it. And then what would be the next thing you'd look for? So the next big thing that I would look for is the application. So it doesn't do anybody any good to just read a word list with a whole bunch of words on it and then not be able to pick up a book and read it. So you're looking for a program that's going to build that bridge. Before they have a third grade reading level, they need to be in decodable readers. They need to only be reading text. They have been taught how to read because we want to get rid of the guessing. The guided reading programs have a lot of like, look at the first letter, look at the picture. Now, what do you think the word is? So our kids start guessing. And if they're wrong, they'll just keep guessing. And then they mm -hmm. stop looking at the word and they're looking at you and they're going, pig, yeah. pog, <laughs> bag. So we want them reading in decodable readers, but we want them reading text. Pictures are fine. Like obviously decodable readers have pictures, but we don't need them. We don't want them to have to rely on the pictures to get the meaning from the text. So we have phonemic awareness, which mm -hmm. is being able to hear the individual sounds within a word mm -hmm. and the language. Then we have being able to identify letters and what sounds they make, which is called phonics. Mm -hmm. Next is they are actually using what they've learned to read yes. some form of sentence or word or stories. You know that they can apply what they're learning. And you want them to be reading it automatically and fluently. Like you don't want them to be like looking at a book going the at, at the cat and ran up, you know, you yeah. do the cat ran up the hill. When people are talking about fluency mm -hmm. for students that may have processing issues or may not have processing issues, how do you use fluency as a measure? 
So fluency, like if you think about reading, what's the point of reading? Why do we read? To understand information. Right. We're reading for comprehension. We're reading to extract, extract meaning from the text in front of us. So the reason we care about fluency is if your fluency is word by word or even sound by sound, you're losing that big chunk of information. Like you're not seeing a sentence as a whole thing. And then your comprehension can start to fall off a cliff. There are kids who are never going to read at the fluency rate that they say a fifth grader in the spring at the 50th percentile is going to read 147 words per minute. Right. That may never happen, but we need them reading fluently enough that it's not hurting their comprehension. So that it's not taking so much of their concentration Mm -hmm. and energy to decode what they're reading so that they can actually extract the meaning. Yeah. And so would you say that it would be best to measure that ability by having them do sort of a one minute read or something like that and then telling you what that was about. They have to do something with it. I'm not a big fan of just repeated readings with no Mm -hmm. comprehension. What do you suggest on that? So one thing to do, just put it in front of them, time them, see how much they can read in a minute and then have them retell you what they remember and sort of keep track of. Are they coming up with the main idea and can they give you some details? And Sometimes for some kids, they'll read a narrative text and they can tell you a ton. And then they'll read an informational text and they can't tell you anything. So you got to pay attention to that too. The other thing I sometimes have kids do, if it is more of an informational text, is after they read it, I'll have them sort of like do a thought web. You just read this thing about snakes. Let's put snakes in the middle. Tell me three or four things that you learned about snakes. So you're just checking to see if any of this is registering, Mm -hmm. because sometimes you will also see kids who are hyperlexic. Explain hyperlexic. So hyperlexic would be a kid who's like, their fluency rates are off the charts. They're reading like at the 95th percentile and they're reading with accuracy that they can't tell you a thing about what they read. If you're a parent of one of those students, what do you suggest for their parents to help that issue? Those kids really need to be in a program that puts a lot of emphasis on comprehension. Obviously, those are the kids who don't need to spend a lot of time with phonics, phonics. on the Mm -hmm. phonics piece of it. Um, They need to be learning about text structure, how a text is organized. If we're reading um, an informational text, they need to understand that like there's a main idea and how to identify that main idea and then what the supporting details. Like my main idea is thunderstorms. Now here's all my facts about thunderstorms and this is how they support my main idea. They need to really know the difference between a fact and an opinion. And then, you know, for narrative text, they have to understand the plot structure for narrative text. Really diving into how is all this laid out and what what are we doing with it? And back to other reading programs, is there anything else that you would suggest, such as there's different ways of learning? So every program needs to be multisensory. So when we're talking about reading in your brain, talk about our occipital lobe which is like where vision things happen in our brain. There's not a lexia lobe Mm -hmm. where all your language happens. It's all happening in different parts of your brain. So you need to be activating different regions. And so we have what they call this language triangle. And it's the visual, the auditory, and the kinesthetic. So everything needs to be introduced and practiced in that way. All of those modalities during a lesson need to be activated and used because that is how we retain what we're learning. Especially with neurodiverse students, we don't know which part of the brain is their most effective part for learning. MRIs have shown that when dyslexics read, Mm -hmm. different parts of their brains light up than when a usual neurotypical student is reading. So when we have reading programs that 
make sure it hits all three corners of the mm -hmm. language triangle, it gives them a better chance to use whatever part of their brain to develop their reading. What research has found is that everybody retains information better when we activate those different modalities. That old idea that, that you have like a learning style that's best for you it's kind of like you have a learning style that maybe you like, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to retain and learn best if, if it's, it's just in that we want, we want to. And so what we're trying to do with our, with our readers who are not typical readers is to build bridges between those parts of the brain that other people are accessing naturally that our kids mm -hmm. are not. And yeah. so that's what that, that sort of those different modalities will do. It's kind of build highways to the regions that we need to be able to get to. Excellent. And turn them on. And it has been shown, going back to what you were just saying, that even neurotypical students benefit from having Everybody all, benefits from having yeah, all it of is them. the mm -hmm. best way mm -hmm. to guarantee retention. You, well, you want that multi-modality instruction to be happening. Can you actually show us an example of that? You're in my first grade class, and I'm going to introduce the concept that ASAP asked. So I'm going to say three words. I want you to repeat these words after me as I say them. Matt. Matt. Bat. Bat. Can. Can. Jam. Jam. What did you hear in all three of those words? Ah. Okay. So then I would write them on the board. I would write all of those words and I would read them and be like, what do you see in all of these words? A. Right. Okay. So then we're going to say A says ah, and then we're going to draw. So that, that's your auditory mm -hmm. because you heard it. That's your visual. We're looking at it in the word. And then um, for the kinesthetic or the tactile, we're going to have them write. We might do it air really, writing. really big, gross motor air writing. Sometimes I have them do them really big on the smart board. You can do um, like in sand. sand trays. You can have them over like um, plastic canvas, like mm -hmm. for needle points. You can put a piece of paper over that and have them do it with a crayon, like any way that's going to give them like feedback mm -hmm. beyond just like a normal pencil and paper Yeah, to like really activate those motor things. And, the, and so that would be an example of how to introduce the concept of ACES AH, we did all three of our modalities. How do you know when you're interviewing a school, how would you judge application of the programs? One thing that you really need to be aware of right now and sort of careful about is this whole notion of Orton-Gillingham and structured literacy and science of reading. It's like really hot right now and everyone is running out and getting a training in it. And so people will say, our teachers are all certified in this are trained in this and you need to really kind of do a deep dive into what that looks like because one four-day training session on Orton-Gillingham does not give you the skills and the background right. to be working with the most impacted struggling readers. Now obviously every teacher in a building or in a district is not going to have the depth and knowledge of training that people who've been doing this for a long time are. So then what you need to be looking for is, is there someone in the, at the building level or the district level who does have that background or that training who is able to go in and work with teachers and mentor teachers and observe lessons and offer tweaks and give yeah. continual professional feedback? That, that practicum piece mm -hmm. is incredibly important. That is yeah. where I learned 90% of what I know about 
about teaching yeah. kids how to read is getting feedback Excellent. from a qualified expert. And also having access to. Mm-hmm. So if you get a student that you're not reaching, do you have somewhere to go? Right. Do you have somebody to, to have to? somebody come in and observe you? And you have to, you just have to ask a lot of questions about background because districts are starting to hire dyslexia specialists, which is awesome. But then you need to find out like, what is their actual background? Because a lot of them have a master's in reading. Well, if you did your master's in reading 15 years ago, you don't have any of this. It's changed so, so much. I think those are the questions that you need to ask. Like, are you trained or are you certified? Because those are very different things. Like mm -hmm. training means I went for a week and I Mm -hmm. got my little certificate. You know, certified means I went through some kind of supervised practicum. If you've only been trained, what is your access to a professional? Say you were certified in OG 15 years ago. Is it the same as it is today? It's still very similar. Things are constantly evolving. You know, OG has been around for over a hundred years. So kind of the base structure of it hasn't changed. I think there has been an emphasis in recent years on the phonemic awareness piece of Mm -hmm. it that probably wasn't there when I was first trained 10 years ago. It wasn't there at all. Even when I was first trained eight years ago. The structure should be there. Like all the components Mm -hmm. of of effective reading instruction should be there. But you know, somebody who is like a fellow in Orton-Gillingham has to renew every single year, which requires certain amount of hours of professional development and trains. So if you found a school where there was an OG fellow mm-hmm. who the trained people had access to mm-hmm. and were doing professional development with, mm-hmm. then you could feel comfortable that that is probably a good place to start. Yes. Will OG work for anybody? Is it the answer for every non-reader? So I think OG, you know, OG was designed for kids who have language-based learning disorders. And so it's based on solid scientific evidence-based effective reading instruction, but there is a certain cognitive load that you have to be able to do. So I think it can get almost anybody learning how to read, Mm -hmm. but as you go through, there's sort of three levels of language. There's your beginning level where there's one letter, one sound. A says A, B says Mm -hmm. B, that's it. It's very straightforward. The way we read it is the way we spell it, concrete. Then we go into like the middle, which is predictable for reading, but not for spelling. So that's our vowel team. So Mm -hmm. if I have the long E sound, there's five different ways to spell it. And then we go into like our advanced level where we're really digging deep into morphology. So the prefixes and and suffixes and bases of words and their meanings and their etymology. So there's a lot and there's like division patterns, special avocation and a lot of stuff that they have to be able to kind of hold on to and apply. Yeah. And rule. So that can be trickier for kids who have more of kind of those borderline cognitive abilities. Well, it's always wonderful to have you here. Any uh, parting words of advice for parents of struggling readers or even teachers who have readers that they're wondering about? I have a little saying that I stuck on a bunch of folders that I gave all you guys two years ago. I said, slower is better, faster is a disaster. I stick to that. I would say to teachers of struggling readers, it's okay to slow down. Don't throw jello at the wall and see what sticks. Teach it to automaticity, let them like really sit in it and learn it. And I would say the same thing to parents, slow down 
And if your child is getting intervention at school that you feel is really solid and valuable, you don't have tutoring after school. There's mm -hmm. only so much your brain is going to do and doubling it up isn't going to make, make it, it go faster. any faster. It's just going to frustrate your kid. So everybody just take a breath. And this is where I would <laughs> offer my two cents as a parent. I, um, my oldest was having a hard time learning how to read. Didn't necessarily have the most effective reading program at the time. So she was in third grade and we went to her parent-teacher conference and the teacher said, well, not everybody goes to Harvard. Despite me having a, well, just brand new master's in special ed yeah. at the time, we listened to her and we were both in education and we knew not everybody goes yeah, to Harvard and true. it really wasn't even something we cared that much about. Right. However, now she's getting <laughs> her PhD, pro, and PhD at Harvard <laughs> in a lab making exoskeletons, and she's a fabulous engineer. She will still struggle to find her words, and mm -hmm. she still has a language-based disorder for sure. She needs extra time to be able to say what she wants to say effectively, yet she gets it out, and she gets her work done, and she's found her place in this world, and she's really making impressive contributions to the community, but I did want to write our teacher and just say some people do go to Harvard who have a hard time reading my middle one was not a reader ever like he didn't even really like to be read to when he yeah. was little and I remember going to his sophomore year in high school parent teacher conferences with his language arts teacher and she just kept saying over and over he's just not passionate about reading he's just not passionate about reading he's like some of us hey, never are this is really not helpful information <laughs> to me and he, um, somewhere around his junior or senior year in high school, he got super interested in medicine. He started reading nonfiction. Yeah. I had spent all this time trying to find like the fiction series that would spark yeah. this kid. It turned out to be nonfiction. He reads nonfiction all the time. He just graduated from college with uh, undergrad in pre-med. And he is working at the Cleveland Clinic in Case Western University as a medical researcher. Yeah. So there you have it. Don't get too worked up about what's going on yep. in third grade or even or sophomore in high school. high school. They find their path and they will be excellent kids. All right. The they're the best kids. <laughs> Obviously, they're our favorite kids because we've they been really working are. on them for our whole lives. And we find them extremely fun and interesting. So anyway, well, thanks for tuning in to this Unsuitable Advice podcast. That's all for today. Head over to our website, unsuitableadvice.com and sign up for our newsletter. And don't forget, it's better to be outside of the box.